When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello, Wilder. Three weeks, I don't think I've seen you with the holidays and everything else. We just haven't been able to connect. Been chaos. I, I know. But before we get to our stuff, are you watching The Gilded Age? I am. Are you up to date? I mean, we're actually yes. taping on a Sunday. Can we just talk about how it's just laying a foundation for understanding so many things like the union standoff last week yeah it's i mean they're much kinder to these characters than i think these characters in history were but well that, are you, that she, is to be expected yeah, from our bridgerton friends she's referring to the owner of the steel mills and stuff and these union guys are going on strike and we're not going to tell you what happens but there is this moment where you understand the enormity of it and they're uh, the steel owner, steel mill owner has a heart, which I think you're referring to maybe in real life. They don't. I think I'm maybe referring to JP Morgan. Okay. Well, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to cast any aspersions on some of my friends, but at any rate, um, he's talking to the guy who's sort of running the show in Pittsburgh. And he said, look, I went to talk to this guy and his kids were home. They should have been in school. Do we even have schools? And do you remember what the guy says to him? I don't know. And I don't want to know. I don't care. Yeah. And it was it's... like, it was riveting. And the, and the divide between the classes, mm. between the haves and the have-nots, all through the whole thing. It, it. I will say this last episode finally let me figure out exactly when this is set. <laughs> Oh, I, I've struck, I'm like, I know it's post-Civil War, but it's not quite, it's because it, uh, uh, Downton starts the in 1911, right? right. Um, and it, so I knew it was Wait, before it starts then. the day the Titanic, the day yes. the Titanic sinks, yeah. So you know when that is. And in this, it's kind of nebulous. It's not very clear. Like, you know, it's between the end of the Civil War and the invention of the automobile it's somewhere in between those two events um but it's not very clear like who's president or where when when exactly this is taking place and and part of that i was i was curious about because of the black storyline in in the show um because she's been raised her whole life in the north yeah right and her boss was a slave Right. And so I was like, wait, how long after the Civil War is this? And they they actually shed some light in this last episode of when this is, because they're talking about the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. Well, um, well, Miss Millennial, <laughs> to give you some perspective, there are people alive today whose great-grandparents were slaves. Yeah, uh, be, uh, William Henry, no, Benjamin Harrison. Benjamin Harrison has a grandson who's still alive today. Well, can I just say that alone... It just shows it's not not that long ago. It just wasn't. It's, no, absolutely not. Uh, the other thing but is, I, 
I am very much enjoying the show. Well, it's funny. It's Julian Fellows who did Downton Abbey. And then Mm -hmm. he came over to do this. That man did his homework and he understands America. America's very different than Britain, but, you know, very different. And he's very British. I mean, he hasn't spent a lot of time here. And I thought, I think he does a really good job of creating the same kind of storyline that we saw in Downton, upstairs, downstairs, the whole thing. But he's not making, he didn't bring Britain over to America. He really did it from what it was like here, which was very, very different. Anyway, I highly recommend it, don't you? I I think it's delightful. Um, I don't think it's incredibly hard hitting. Um, and I don't know that it's the most accurate, but it is delightful. Well, in today's world, I'm not sure I can take hard hitting right now. I'm sure. just saying. I'm just saying. Yes. Okay. So um, all right. So you sent me an, a text and said, Hey, I'm gonna watch May, December. Uh, do you want to do that this weekend? And I was like, sure. And I had read about it, um, but I, I don't, you know, I don't know how to thank you. I owe you my whatever. I don't know. But, <laughs> let me, yeah, let me just do a pretty big introduction, and then we, and then we can. I'll turn it over to you. But Julian Moore and Natalie Portman, like they're the stars in this is Todd Haynes, and I didn't realize it. Todd Todd Haynes disquieting May December, you know, and I thought, what's it? I kept thinking to myself, why are they doing this? And then once I saw who, you know, who the director was, I was like, oh, well, that explains it. What's it about? Okay. Anyone remember Mary Kay Letourneau? Letourneau. Yeah. Yeah. So she was that school teacher who slept with the seventh, her seventh grader, a seventh grader. Actually, I think she first came on to when he was 12. But anyway, in the film, he's around 13. And then went to prison and had two of his children while she was in prison because they let her out. She went back to him, got pregnant again, and then they put her back in prison. Okay. They married when she got out. And eventually, 20 years later, they divorced. And that, but then when she was dying of cancer, he came and was by her side, never left her sides for the two months as she fought it and then lost that war. So, so Todd Haynes, who you'll remember him, I mean, he doesn't tell that story. No, 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 no. Which is so like him. He brings Natalie Portman to the town, Gracie, AKA Mary Kay, lives in with her family while she studies them because she's going to play her in the film about her life. And it just gets creepier from there as these, I mean, these two brilliant actors, I just, they get intertwined into something close to the shining, but without murder at its end. (laughs) But Okay, so look, Hayes is known for loving to go behind the scenes of what something seems to be. I mean, let's look mm-hmm. at Carol and then another, you know, which was another forbidden love story, but not about necessarily the love story um, or far away from heaven, you know, another, you know, yeah, exactly. So First Julianne Moore. It's not yeah, exactly not, you know, she's, I think she's done six films with him, but yeah. not unusual for him to, to, not tell the story that you think you're going to learn, but tell the story behind the story. I think it was amazingly brilliant. And now I turn it over to you, Wilder. What do you say? I mean, I am still unsettled from watching this movie. It's Um, really unsettling. It is. It is. And Todd Haynes is, he's deft, right? He's, he's incredibly 
clever with how he handles the camera, how he tells you a story. And, and if he's even telling you a story, you know, I think, I think he is unsure what he wants you to feel. And I don't really you will he, be there, unsure as you're watching he's it. trying to make me feel anything. I think he's just, Oh, I think it. he is. Well, and I, I think, I think if you look to anything, it's the score. The score is so, so over represented in this in, in, the, in a great funny. Way. It's almost, you know what, it, yeah. what did it remind you of Jaws? Well, and it, and it's actually, the score is actually, um, uh, it's a cover. It's a score from a previous film, uh, well, from that, the seventies, but it's not, but not only that, like it, there's something almost funny about it because it's so over the top. Yeah, and, and unbelievably way, ominous. Yeah, and uh, that in a way it may it it actually lightens your load rather than making it heavier, in my opinion. So it um, it threw. I mean, the one of the first scenes, Julianne Moore is she's brilliant in this. Um, but she's also both are by the way. There's both. there's so many layers because Julianne Moore is playing a fictional version of Mary Kay Letourneau, and. Natalie Portman is playing an actress who's coming to play another fictional version oh, of this character. But you know what's even more important is in my mind, Natalie Portman is playing a second rate actor. Yeah. So um, because you can see, she shows you, I'm acting here, I'm acting here, I'm acting here, but she's not that good at it. And no. so, and, but that I think is all contrived also. So you know, he doesn't just leave it as she's an actress coming to play this role. She's mm. also an actress who became famous on some stupid, you know. Yeah, she has a lot to prove. Yeah, yeah a yeah. series that clearly had no, had, you know, had no depth to it. I mean, it's called Nora's Ark. <laughs> well, it was supposed to be called the Animal Vet or yeah. Animal Hospital, but they couldn't, the night before they shot the scene, they couldn't get permission so they had to change it that night. And she said she was really glad they did. But that's what that's where his brilliance is. Every single time you think, oh, that's what he's going to do. You realize, no, he's doing even more than that. So not only is Natalie Portman playing an, an actress, but she's playing a bad, she's not a good yeah. And there's, it's really beautifully put together. It's very unsettling. You never know, you, you think, you come in with with expectations of what this is going to be and how you're supposed to feel about it. And at every scene, he throws you a curveball of what you think you're watching um, and who you're supposed to be rooting for. And, you know, Natalie Portman's character at every turn becomes more and more confusing uh, and what her motivations are become confusing oh, and no. who it, she it actually is. The swan. Didn't it remind you of Black Swan a bit? Her um, a little bit. That one feels more like a, a personal psychological thriller of a woman devolving. It's whereas me of that too, though. I mean, you know, when she's when she, you know, I, we I don't want to do spoilers. So she ha there's a scene where she does something that's just it's worse than cruel. It is it's designed to devastate. And then her answer to the question about it is, well, that's what grownups do, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, there, it's just, she really, I think she's evil. I think it's, she's got evil in her. Yeah. It's funny because you go into the movie trying to figure out what the hell is up with Gracie, right? What's up with Julianne Moore's character. And you come out being like, wait, hang on. 
You this know, was entirely about someone else. They are both not good representatives of our gender. But here's the other thing. So get this. This is where, you know, he kept talking. I, I watched a bunch of interviews with him about this film. And he kept talking about, look, when you're working with these two people, you can do things you can't do with others because that's how good they are. And mm. one of the things that Julianne Moore said is, look, Natalie Portman, as the film goes on, I have a little bit of a lisp in this film. And she, halfway through the film, she starts taking on my mm -hmm. mannerisms and my speech patterns, but she didn't tell her she was going to do that. Mm -hmm. And Julianne Moore said, it took me two thirds of the movie to figure out she'd done it. That's how good she was at it. Mm -hmm. I was so busy playing me, you know, in this role that I didn't see her coming up behind me, taking me on and becoming mm -hmm. me. In it, which, by the way, I mean, you have to admit that's pretty damn good, you know, pretty. Damn yeah, good. I mean, w watching it, you watch her kind of transform into Gracie throughout the whole movie. And then, I mean, there's there's a beautiful payoff at the end of how not good an actress she actually is playing. And, and you have to be a really good actress to play being not a good actor. Exactly. Right. You have to be incredible. Um, And they both are. Um, I will say Charles Milton, who plays Joe, who's the the husband in this, I think is this beautiful, quiet center. This just all of the sadness of this story just pours uh, out. You, don't him. See, you see a little bit of ironic comedy almost in the first half. And then you start to see the depth of the sadness. But the other thing is uh, he gained 40 pounds for this role, which a lot of weight. That's a lot of yeah. weight. On. And I looked him up. He hasn't, he's been in a lot of films, like 20 films, but I don't remember him from it. I didn't, most of them I had not seen, you know. Oh, so. he's, he's big from uh, the CW. That's, that's yeah. where, you know, I don't know that you're spending a ton of time there. <laughs> now, um, Natalie Portman brought the script to Todd Haynes as a potential collaboration between the two. And um, Haynes immediately said, yes, he loved it. And then he suggested Julianne Moore for the role opposite Portman. Now he'd worked with her so many times. It's not surprising mm -hmm. that he asked for her, but you know, apparently she was thrilled to get it. But I think the screenplay who, by the way, is, is, you know, when I'm, I'm looking at this screenplay and I'm thinking, okay, it's Sammy Birch who, who wrote it, but she's not known. She did, a lot of casting for most of the Hunger Games mm -hmm. uh, in the Hunger Games series. She she's been a casting agent more than a screenwriter. But mm -hmm. you know, I realized when I thought about it, this is her first major script, and I think she's going to get a nod. I think she should if she does. You know, if she I think it was really a good screenplay. But because again, the the screenplay was executed brilliantly by these two very talented actors, but. The reason they took it is they read it and they saw how really how they saw how amazing an opportunity she was giving them to play two characters that were so filled with layers that it would be really fun to do. So uh, I think she I think she was really good. I thought she was great. So good for Sammy Birch, right? Yeah, I read this script. Um, it was on the 2020 blacklist. Um, so every every year, um, the industry votes its best unproduced scripts. Um, it's called the blacklist, uh, and this was pretty high up on it uh, three years ago. Um, it's an incredible turnaround for a script to go from being written to being shot and released. Um, so I mean, kudos to them. And I, I remember there was quite the fer fervor 
over this when it first came out. Um, well, it debuted in Cannes and Netflix picked it up for 11 million. And uh, they then brought it there, you know, went to Netflix really quickly, very soft launch outside of mm -hmm. before Netflix. I'm not sure why they pay. That's not, that's not an insignificant number to pay. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure why they picked it up when they weren't going to do more with it outside of that. I think they picked it up for awards. I do. I think. Well, what's interesting is that they've submitted it for the Golden Globes under comedy. <laughs> well, you know, he talks about it. Did you watch any of the Hayes interviews or did you read? No. The yeah. Mm -hmm. You got to do that sometimes because he talks about, about the comedy of it and the New York times reviewer uh, who I think wrote the best review that I read of it. Um, and who is that? Okay, uh, it's uh, Manola Dargis. Do you know he really good reviews? But he um, he talks about that in the screening room. He kept trying to cover his mouth because he wasn't sure he was supposed to laugh, but he found himself la self laughing, and so did I. And part of that, in my mind, was Natalie Portman's over the top playing of a terrible actor and trying to get along with somebody who she couldn't stand. I mean, the whole, you know, it was, it was comedic. I get it. I get why they thought it was a comedy. I do. I, I didn't find it funny. I mean, there were moments that I thought were kind of funny, but I, I would not have pegged this for comedy. I would have said this is pretty intense drama. Um, and I was unbelievably uncomfortable for most of the film. And I think that was the intent. Uh, but even the music was funny. It was like, I, yeah, I mean, everything is absurd and over the top, but it's well, because the music was as if someone was going to be murdered and nobody was, and you knew it. So, yeah, but it's, you know, this is also a story of, of questionable child abuse. I mean, there's a big scene between uh, Joe and Gracie towards the end of everything that's been dredged up from this visit. And, and apparently it's based on a real interview with Mary Kay and, and Billy um where she flat out asks him who was the boss who was the boss and when you're talking about a 13 year old and a 36 year old woman that it's terrifying that that's the conversation many years later they're still having well they actually have that she asks that question in the film yeah. that's not giving anything away it doesn't ever get answered as a as a viewer i thought the answer he was supposed to say was i am well, that's what she has told him. The yeah, whole time. but you know, you both, everybody knows that it isn't. But also, so the title, May December. Did you look it up? I know, I know what a May December romance is. That's you know, what's funny though is that I mentioned it, and my fiance had no idea what I was talking about. Apparently, is not it's not a colloquialism in the way that I thought it was. Well, yeah. Why don't you tell? So you 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 share them what 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 the title where it comes from? A May December romance is when one party is much older than the other. No, actually, in the definition, it refers to a relationship where a younger woman is involved with an older man. And what's funny about that is, in this case, it's the exact reverse of it, which is also humorous mm -hmm. because when they came up with the term May December, that older women were not. No, young, you know, so this, that could never happen. But that's again <laughs> one of the humorous things about it is it's supposed to be based on an older man, and you know, sort of, yeah, that's not that's not the case. So, um, 
And then December refers to, you know, the end of his vitality, the end of his mm-hmm. darkness of winter. And, you know, even that is funny. It's sort of, I mean, I get it. I think there was a lot in there that sort of made me laugh, but um, you sort of, we the, our, our, our listeners can't see your face. When I talked about how great the screenplay was, I, you were sort of like, mm, not so much. I, I liked it. Um, I think it's, it's well-crafted. I just, it's one of those that if you don't get the right actors it and the right director, right, it could go any number of ways. Um, and I, I think, you know, this landed in the right hands and that's a gift that it did. Well, uh, and, and by the way, uh, that's what Hayes said over and over again. He said, look, mm-hmm. he he does a lot of this where he puts the camera they're talking into a mirror. They're in a bathroom. They're in her bathroom. She's showing her how to put on makeup. There's a number of places where they look into the camera, which is supposed to be a mirror. So we get to see as if they were looking into the mirror. And um, he said, it's a, it's an interesting technique that people use. He said, but the actors have to be so good for the one scene he's talking about where they're putting on makeup. And there's just, they just keep you, the two actors, I mean, Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman just keep you hanging for a really long time. They keep you waiting. They are brilliant, uh, absolutely brilliant in their depiction of it. So a lot of the camera uses, he says he can't do with everybody, but he could do it with them because that's how good they are. Yeah, it's it's amazing because it's it's hard. It's hard when you're watching it because Julianne Moore her character is is wild, right? But she's she ends up playing second fiddle to Natalie Portman. And I think that's such a testament to Julianne Moore's acting yeah. that you just kind of take in hand that that's who she is. And she doesn't, she's never reflected on who she is and who, if she did something wrong here or if if there's should be consequences or any like there's an innocence and a naivete doesn't have to look at it you know yeah um there's there's a naivete to her character that she knows she has and she hides behind because she wants to and it makes her life digestible for her um and it's remarkable because you just take it for granted when you're watching it because natalie portman is is so interesting and confusing and all of those things that you think are going to be Gracie but end up being Elizabeth well you know it's interesting because the other thing that I think is so cool there's one scene it takes place at the dining room table and we see to our left and to our right uh are Natalie's character and and uh Julian Moore's character and then straight ahead <coughs> is his character and it goes on for a long time. <coughs> Sorry. It's six pages of dialogue, which is a lot <laughs> to learn. Anyway, he never speaks, but the camera constantly goes to him because in those moments, you're learning about the dynamic between she and her husband that is so messed up. That's like a 12-year-old still looking to his teacher to tell him what to think. The way he nods, yes. I think that, you know, if anyone watches that, he's going to get a nod or two because it's really brilliant acting on his part. 
Oh yeah. He's, he's completely trapped in his 12 year old role. I mean, there, there's a moment where, where you see kind of Gracie break down a bit and even the way he comforts her feels like a child comforting a parent. Well, exactly. Rather than, you know, two equals. to be able to give us the depth to show us that entire relationship, it's pretty early on and we get to see exactly what's going on and to do it without one word in the mm-hmm. dialogue that's going back and forth. Brilliant. I mean, he, uh, yeah. The, the, and the whole concept is, is wild. I mean, she's coming to visit during their kids graduation week. It's like, and it's, it's inevitable that there's going to be drama because they live in the same town as her previous family and her grandchildren are also graduating at the same time as her children. And it's just, and it's, you know, they live in small town Savannah. Um, so they're going to run into each other. And it's like, well, did she plan it this way? Is this the way the timing worked out? Like, did she want her to, to come when there was going to be drama happening? Is that what she thinks she has to offer? Like, it's just, the whole thing is fascinating. Her son, her relationship with her son is fascinating to me that he still lives there. Like, there's a great scene where Natalie is is meeting with her lawyer, um, who was the one who, you know, showed up at the jail and had to reveal to her that she'd done something wrong, uh, that she'd broken a law. And her son, Julian Moore's son is there, her elder son, who's the same age as her now husband, right? Was in the same class as her now husband. And he he's a, a trip and you have no idea what's true with him, what's real or not. But it the whole time I'm wondering, why do you still live there? You like you're you're grown. You don't have to live there well, anymore. Yeah, you could he, have left. He, he answers that question. He's you know basically ruined his life. You know there was no life after that. But. Right, but then also the, you're you're thrown many twists and turns in that relationship as well, and you don't know what to believe at no, the end. Of it. It's brilliant, but it's part great. of the brilliance in my mind, I want to bring this back to you, is the screenplay, because I think I think Hayes did a great job shooting it, no question. But he didn't write it. And at first I thought he must have written this, but he didn't. And I think that I think the screenplay is so good. It gives the director so much to work with and the actor so much to work with that it's one of the reasons why I call it a, a great screenplay. So it'll be interesting to see if it gets or not. I'll be willing to wager you here that it does. Just giving you a little weight wager on here. So we'll see. Well- I'm curious. I'm also curious if it does in what category is it adapted? Because there's an argument well, for it. Oh no, there's no book that it was adapted from. No, but there's a story that it's adapted from. Well, no, they, there's a very well, famous they, story it's adapted from. Well, Barbie's they, being considered adapted, yeah, but, but they don't go there in the interviews. They don't do any of that in the interviews. They totally steered clear of it, which which tells me they're not going to go that down that route. No, I I know, but sometimes they don't have a choice. Sometimes they are relegated. No, but there have been a lot, but there's been more than one. There have been many cases like this, similar to this. So it's not like I'm just saying, if Barbie's up for best adapted screenplay, why wouldn't this be? Um, well, I don't, please don't make me talk about Barbie again. I'm just saying the, the categories and the, and the, um, qualifications are interesting. This is on Netflix. I think we both think you shouldn't miss it, but also I don't think it's a family film. I really think, I really think you have to, not at all. I do not think anyone under the age of even 18 should be watching this film. There's 
too many things in there that nobody needs to think about right now with everything else we need to yeah. think about. So I would I would st- have your kids steer clear of it, but I would certainly watch it. I think it's really, really good. Just be prepared to be uncomfortable when you're watching it. And by the way, and to carry that discomfort for a couple of days afterward. I watched yeah. it yesterday. I'm still on, I'm still a little, I'm still yeah. a little torn. But now I got to ask you before we sign off, you saw Maestro, I haven't seen it yet. Do, any thoughts? You should go see it. Okay, so maybe we should review it. Uh, I I don't know if we have time with yeah, what's happening yeah. in the world right now, but um, I think Bradley Cooper is a really good director. I think he's he's so charismatic, and it's not his movie, which I loved. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I can't. That, that's so mysterious. I can't wait to look that up and find out what that means. I will go see it to figure it out. But the other thing is, you and I never talked about uh, Star is Born, which was his first major directorial debut. Did you never see it? You never I haven't seen it? it yet. Don't yell at me. Right. Well, I'm not going to yell at you. I, <laughs> I, I, I frankly thought the movie didn't need to be remade four times. So, uh, well, it's it's one of the most remade. <laughs> yeah, I saw it at the Hamptons Film Festival, but it was sort of like, I don't know why this, I, you know, I already saw this, you know, Barbara Streisand, Never saw that connection on that one. I don't know. Anyway. Um, all right. Well, I hope you have a great week and we will you talk too. soon. And thanks for putting this on my plate. Really, really, really grateful. Glad I could help.